and high tech welcome to marvel versus marvel it's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a marvel comic book before in his life watches a marvel movie or a marvel tv show and then quizzes his friend another comedian this one is a marvel expert this one was taught to read with marvel comics it's the yin and the yang of the marvel experience as we go through the marvel journey from the 1960s all the way up to the mcu welcome to the spider-man homecoming episode and edition of MVM. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Holden. I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm also the Marvel expert in the chair. And across from me, via the power of Zoom, essentially on the other end of the country, uh, is the other half of the equation. It's Mr. Will Preston. Hiya, Will. By the power of Zoom. Oh, God. That's so very loud. (laughs) Sorry, I wanted to do uh, He-Man. And the masters yeah. of remote working. The, master, the masters of the Zoom, Zoomiverse. The masters of the... Um, oh, damn. It worked, it flowed, it was right there. You could have done it. We're back. We're back from our vacay, from yeah. our little holiday break in August. And we are back in our respective dual recording studios to bring you another edition, another full edition of Marvel vs. Marvel. Of course, we didn't leave you in August. Um, we had the, uh, the Wolverine episode. Yep. We had plenty of editions of MVM Revisited, uh, and we also had a special release of one of our obscure Marvel bonus shows. We hope you guys enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But as much fun as that is, <laughs> ooh, daddy, it's great ooh. to be back, and it's great to have... I mean, we are stacked and packed with trivia in this one. It's really, really excited to be bringing you the Spider-Man Home Cooking Show. Yep. Will, are you pumped for this one? I'm stacked, packed, and ready to crack. Crack on, that is. <laughs> He's so like he never stops being like this. Uh, (laughs) How to take that? Coming up, we go behind (laughs) the scenes on the MCU version of Spider-Man and how the character and Sony and Marvel Studios all came together. We go behind the page on the teenage years of Peter Parker, Mm. the birth of the teenager. We'll bring you the history of Adrian Toomes. We'll get to the bottom of exactly who the hell is Ned Leeds, and we'll dive into. The relationship between Spider-Man and the Avengers, and we'll find out about Spider-Man's high-tech costumes. It is all to come. Don't go anywhere. Stacked and packed. That might be a new catchphrase right here. Marvel versus Marvel. Really pumped for this one. Um, it's good to go away and have a little breaky break, but it's also it's great to get back as well. Nope, no response from no, Will on no, that one. I, okay, <laughs> that's not how. Apparently, that's not how conversations work anymore. No, it's I'll just t- silence I'll from the other person. I'll tell you how conversations work, Rob. When you ask the other person a question, you should you, your tonation goes high at the end of the thing, not down. Your not to- really. No, no, no. That's not how conversations always work. Do you have a nice time on holiday? Thank you for that's, asking. No. Did you have a nice time on holiday? That's what you want. <laughs> yes, I do want a, a camper version of Rob. I had a nice time. I went to Edinburgh, as we all know. Went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and then uh, had, had a nice time off afterwards playing with my new Steam Deck, which is incredible. Found- That's a computer thing, right? Yeah, it's basically a Nintendo Switch that can play pretty much every single PC game. It's Incredible! It's an incredible bit of kit. Uh, you have Ooh. to reserve one, and I reserved one a year ago. And boy, I 
I, I just had it, uh, I, I just pictured myself going, oh, this will be nice if I'm on holiday and I've got some downtime where I don't need to do anything. I'm in the hotel room to play it. I play it every day. I, I, like, <laughs> I like sitting at my desk playing PC games. But you know what's even better? Lying on the bed, sitting down in a big armchair in the living room with my wife, playing No Man's Sky on my lap. In a way that's surprisingly comfortable. Oh my lord, it's a game changer. Just more and more ways to disassociate from the real world and isolate your lovely wife there on the sofa. Brilliant. Hey, hey, I can converse (laughs) while playing video games. She's playing video games too. That's why we're married. The video game household. Um, I took a little time with the family down south to Devon. Had a a nice little break. Um, Got got drunk uh, a fair bit. Got drunk. Ah, oh, they've got. There's an Italian restaurant down there that's really nice, and they've just opened an Italian deli. Oh, um, and I mama. went full. I went full Tony Soprano. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was in there. Like everyone's in. They've got. They've only got scant few tables. It's like a proper deli. Mm. Like they've got a few tables if you want to sit and have a very luxurious, um, authentic coffee. Well, you sat um, outside uh, with a table with a tracksuit on. No, I, li- I didn't. I didn't bring my tracksuit with me and your little mirror thing to get your tan. Fold out, tan yeah. No, but I, yeah. I, I did. I did buy myself an absolutely jam-packed Italian meat and cheese sandwich. Oh um, yes, I, I got myself. Uh, I got myself some. Um, uh, I can't think of the blooming the word now. Um, the little pastries with the Italian custard in cannoli. I got myself a like like two dozen cannolis. Two dozen and, cannolis, uh, people. Two, two dozen, dozen cannolis. That's dozen what we call two dozen a, cannolis. <laughs> what's the what's the donut company called again? The the really nice donuts, you know, the the, the bro, you know the the ones that are everywhere. Crispy cream. That's a that's what we call a crispy cream of cannolis. I see. Okay. Uh, so because <laughs> they do they do the big boxes where you have like twelve in a box, right? And that yeah. seems to be the standard rather than just get a few. Okay, uh, so yeah, a decent holiday. Uh, we're sipping on wine here. What's going on? It's uh, dealkalized red wine. Oh wow, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, but there's no buzz. Right, we've got to focus. <laughs> we've got a lot to get on. Uh, we hope you guys have been enjoying the Marvel versus Marvel Revisited in our in our our weeks our off weeks when we don't bring you a a fresh uh, girthy healthy episode. We've been releasing snippets from the archives, mm. going behind the page, going behind the scenes, kind of depending what we put out there. We put out two episodes on Venom. We put out behind the scenes on Ant Man, which is yep. a, a real fraught story, and of course behind the page on the Civil War. This is a really cool project. I'm really enjoying this and excited about it. How about you, Will? I'm, I'm incredibly excited. Uh, we, we, we've come along such a far way. We, we've got these new ideas recently on how to improve what we're doing, make make ourselves like uh, provide you guys with more content and stuff. Uh, man, we I, I see it's it's an exciting time to be alive in Marvel versus Marvel. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. It's an interesting and exciting time. It's primarily kind of to try and uh, whet the appetite of a new listener who might be... Because you guys out there right now, you guys are cool. We know you're cool. You're thoroughly um, wetted. But there are some people out there who get, you know, little babies. They they shake at their knee, they knock at the knees, and they, they quiver in fear at a two, three, four-hour episode. So uh, we, we kind of thought we'd put out these out to kind of get people uh, jonesing, get people on board, give them a sample of what they can experience if they go and dive into a big episode. Yeah. And, hey, if it's too long, there's this amazing new thing they've invented called the 
pause button where you can just pause it and then get back to your life. Um, oh, no. But also... Yeah. I was about to say, remember that film that came out on Netflix from Martin Scorsese, The Irishman? Uh, people going, mm. oh, no, it's three or four hours long. And it's like, yeah, just pause it. <laughs> just pause it halfway through. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely... I don't think movies should be consumed like that, but podcasts, long-form podcasts oh, yeah, are designed definitely. for that. Look, long-form is long-form content is the future. We're all about that. Long-form isn't going anywhere with us. Um, we're all about it. But it's really cool. Hopefully you guys get to uh, get to have fun experience revisiting um, some cool things from the archives, um, which which can be kind of cool in our off-season. Speaking of the off-season, the off-season is over for Will Preston. He's back! On the comedy circuit, uh, where where can we expect to find you, Will, now that you are returning to tread the boards? Well, you can find me uh, September the 12th, uh, I'll be at Nice and Spiky at the Regent in Islington. Tuesday, September... Who who runs Nice and Spiky? Is Is that a Spiky gig? That is not Spiky Mike, no. Ah, uh, what an absolute legend. I've known him. <laughs> like, I, I would have first met him about 18 years ago, um, back when back when Spiky would do the do the open mics, sort of the AM circuit as well, right before he built up his insane network of gigs all over the country. Yeah, anyway. I, I've only done the uh, gong show, his gong show in Leicester. Very odd gig. But I'll gig with him when I'm ready. I, I got the idea from other people that he really wants people who are ready to do pro stuff. Uh, so I'll well, wait. yeah. Everyone, everyone, everyone paying a comedian wants that. <laughs> I, I, I want a gig now. Me want gig now. Uh, Tuesday, the thirteenth uh, September, I'll be at Telford Comedy Club at the Crown Inn in Telford. Uh, Thursday, the fifteenth uh, of September, I'll be at Rock Central Comedy Club at the Hairy Dog in Derby. Uh, on Wednesday, the twenty-first of September, I will be at just another comedy club at the Crown in St Albans. And on Thursday, the 22nd of September, I'll be at Comedy at the Cobb at the Swan in Wantage. Amazing things. Go check out uh, will-preston.co.uk. Just enter my name in Google. It's to save you time. <laughs> and it will no, no. bump up my website in the search results. <laughs> And speaking of websites, hey, hey. We, we, you know what? I had a really cool experience. I, uh, it was, um, it was my best friend's birthday, and that also is like we have like an anniversary remark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, seventeen years of being best pals. Seventeen um, years, wicked. I know. Yeah, it's a it's a lengthy one. It's the longest I've done anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and we we went out. We went out to uh, Birmingham. To um, get some food, get some cocktails, a little bit of tapas. Had a great evening afternoon out. I am wearing my Zorg t-shirt. Oh, purchased from offworldtees.com. Excellent. I'm in a really, a really cool craft beer place. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at the bar, and the barmaid strikes up a conversation with me about the Zorg t-shirt, and off we go. Um, uh, we've got, we've got a Fifth Element fan behind the bar. And that was just a really cool experience. Uh, and then the three of us are talking about Fifth Element has one of our favorite films, and um, it you really know, came out of nowhere that film, didn't it? And and it's got a big fandom, but yeah. also it feels like there's no movement to do anything else with it. And yes! I'm fine with that. Yes, it's like a snapshot in film history where everybody just goes, "We're happy with the film. We like fanning boying over it, but we don't need any more. There was enough there." The only thing I want from Fifth Element uh, is um, a Saturday morning kiddified TV uh, cartoon series and a, a series of like uh, action figures like Alien got. Um, that was weird, but that's, wasn't it? 
Yeah, but that's <laughs> like that's the that's the kind of we talk a little bit about how now Marvel is in the mainstream. Yeah. Fandom is a little bit different to when I was growing up. When Will was growing up, like I'm not a sporty sporty person. I don't follow sports. Neither is Will. And and he kind of grew up outsider, ostracized slightly. As you see, all these people getting to wear their fandom, their rugby shirt, their football shirt, to spot another... They all go to the same places together and yeah. have a little little football cosplay event. Uh, <laughs> and it's frustrating when you're outside of that, and it's really cool now. That, like, the world, especially in T-shirting and fandom, has completely changed. You can rep the things you love by wearing these cool shirts, getting the deep cuts, the things that... Yes. The T-shirt didn't say Fifth Element movie starring Bruce Willis. It's the, it's the Zorg shirt, man. Yeah, that's it's all the you need. Deep cut from OffWorldTees.com. Proud sponsors of Marvel versus Marvel. Um, I know you've um, seen some really cool things on there quite recently that, 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 that picked your interest. Oh, I've always um, seen some cool stuff on there. I think one of the cool things on there was not even a deep cut. It was the most minimalist cut. It was basically the tri-laser from Predator. Just the three you, red dots. Uh, a black shirt with, three with red, just the three, three red that's dots. That's so... You've been targeted. Yeah. You're about to be taken out. That's so cool. I mean, what better time to release that T-shirt or even to promote it even more with uh, the Prey movie that came out recently on Disney+. Plus, Which everyone's raving about. Have you seen it yet? Not yet. It's, it's trying great. To find, it's, trying to, it's trying to balance this podcast we do and everything. You know, there's a lot to watch and read. And I think we should yeah. skip a week and you should watch <laughs> Prey because it's really good. It's basically, hey, let's do a Predator prequel, but make it feel like The Revenant. <laughs> Man, there's just so many cool things on offworldtees.com. Yeah. Uh, USCSS Nostromo oh, shirts. yes. Yeah, I've already got on my Wayland yutani T-shirt, and I think the Nostromo T-shirt I need to get as well soon, just to complete the package. And it's not just sci-fi geeks. There's yeah. cool horror shirts out there. There's cool comedy shirts out there. Their, their, their recent release is uh, T-shirts from the Cornetto trilogy: mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead, um, Hot Fuzz, um, the uh, the World's End, and uh, a ton more. You got Monty Python shirts out there, and all sorts of really cool things. Funny you say the World's End. Uh, I went there for the first time in years uh, the other night. Uh, oh, in London, my friend used to. Yeah. I, 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 alas, I trained behind a bar and worked there um, several years ago. Um, yeah, nice little pub. Incredible yeah. place if you're into your rock and your metal. Mm. Uh, it was it just because I don't really go out because I'm boring. But I went. I've been going up to these meetup groups to meet new people. You know, just to just 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 to get me social on the off. And it's it was great hanging around with fellow metalheads in a bit <clears> what <throat> possibly one of the best metal pubs in the country. What a time! Well, the uh, the end of the world T-shirts that Offworld Tees mm. have got feature the full pub crawl um, from the third movie yes. in the Cornetto trilogy. I've also written a blog all about facts and trivia from the uh, the Cornetto movies, which is uh, I think it's up on that website right now, offworldtees.com. Look, we wouldn't associate and attach this podcast and put our name alongside just any old Tom, Dick, and Harry. No, um, no, no, flashing us some cash. Uh, these are good guys. I've known I've known the company for many many years. I know the people that run it for many years. Um, we've been working with them 
with, with our own t-shirts, the ones that we're currently sporting right now that you cannot see, the Marvel versus Marvel t-shirts. If you missed them, you missed them, but we put that out, and those were the people that, that helped us do it, and we had nothing but rave reviews from, from our wonderful listeners that got hold of those. They got great customer service reviews, 4.7 out of 5 stars, 4.7 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. Look, it's geek shirts by geeks for geeks. Um, you can't find uh, anyone geekier than <laughs> Tim and Jim who run the company, I promise you. Um, great shirts, great customer service. It's not just a UK shout-out. They've got production hubs, Australia, Canada, the Czech Republic, Germany, United Kingdom, and the United States, so you can get your tees wherever you are that you're listening to this. Sign up to the Offworld Tees newsletter today. And you'll get yourself 10% off your first order. It's offworldtees.com. Join me now Ooh. as we take our first trip post uh, August into new season. New mm. season. The new season of MVM, which starts in uh, September. Previously we- on MVM. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna everything two years of things and then now and now we go back into the mind of a muggle and well um i know you've uh i actually take a look at the trailer for spider-man homecoming to see if that jogged any memories i'd like to know how you felt about this movie before it came out, you know, it's 2017. Put us in the picture. Where, where are you? What? What? Anything massive happened to you in 2017? Uh, 2017 was a bit of a weird time for me because I went through a breakup, uh, and I was it was my it, within my first year doing comedy, and I basically I I think I went off the rails for a bit, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I I had a great time. I had, I had some absolutely great times doing it, and. I was fully, fully into uh, everything to do with Marvel. <laughs> in terms didn't you? Of films. Didn't you visit New York in 2017? October 2017, uh, I went to New York. Uh, and, and That's was, the same as visiting. You don't have to. <laughs> sorry, I, I don't know why I corrected that yet. Neither do I. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, very. Yeah, it was. It was a great um, time. Yeah. Rob, actually, I went to New York. I didn't I, visit. I am New York. Rob. I didn't stay there. <laughs> uh, I just went there and left. Yeah. Um. And so we we we've we've seen Spider Man in Civil War, mm. and then we get the trailer. We get a vibe of the soundtrack. We get as you know, we we see that yeah. we get. Michael Keaton playing the villain. Yeah. Um, and we kind of see a bit more... Well, we see Tom Holland as Peter Parker, which we don't get to see in the in the Civil War movie. What, what, how did you feel then? Um, anticipation builds, the trailer comes out, the movie's on its way. Well, as soon as I uh, saw Civil War uh, and Spider-Man in it, I was already sold. I was absolutely sorry. I went, I am absolutely going to love whatever Spider-Man film they do next. I don't... But I, I was in the mind of, I don't want to go through another, oh my God, Uncle Ben's dead thing oh, again. Oh, right. Yeah. Because I know it's vital and everything, like on retrospect, but I was just there <clears> going, could we just make it different than that? Because the last few Spider-Man films were, oh no, he's dead. That's my whole thing. And Amazing Spider-Man, oh no, he's dead. And there's a whole web of conspiracy about my parents. And I'm just like, come on, let's just make it light and fun, guys. And then I saw the trailer for this, and it looked brilliant. It it had... It, it managed to convey that same fun mentality 
of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. He and he's <laughs> just the footage of him, like he's oh, I'm just about to fight Captain America, and he's recording onto his phone. I'm just like, we didn't see this in Civil War, and all I can think is, yes. You've captured a teenage Spider-Man in the modern age perfectly. He is talking to the camera, you know, vlogging as he's about to do stuff and being, you know, close to being annoying about it. But that was, but in an endearing way. And I loved it. And then we had loads of other stuff promising. And I, Michael, getting Michael Keaton on board as a villain, because that's, that's, that's a deep cut for people my age, where you just go, oh, they've got Batman playing the villain. That's great. And you just see all the stuff that you know is included in the MCU because we've never had a Spider-Man that included other characters from the MCU. So it was exciting, exciting to see the trailer. It, I, I knew it was going to be something good even before I saw the trailer. And the trailer just, well, it just proved it. It stamped it down for me. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, very interesting that you got a, a distinct flavour of the teenage stuff mm. from the trailer, um, because I think that really is vital to this to this um, movie and to kind of the the MCU rebirth of, of, of Spider-Man. Um, what can you tell us, and Will, we we'll hand some of the control over to you, try and uh, ha- take us through behind the scenes of this of this movie. Right, well, this is going to be a, a big old one, because first of all, we're going to have to go through and make sense of all those dollars and cents. So many dollars and cents have been spent trying to make sense of Spider-Man. So, we'll start from the beginning. Spider-Man, 2002 Budget $139 million. Box office $825 million. What a success that film was. And then, of course, you had Spider-Man 2, 2004. Budget $200 million. Box office $789 million. Then Spider-Man 3, 2007. Budget $258 to $350 million. Box office came in at $895 million. So, you know, very successful trilogy there. And then you have, in 2012, The Amazing Spider-Man. Budget. 200 to 230 million dollars box office 758 million dollars the amazing spider-man 2 2014 budget 200 to 293 uh, million dollars box office 709 million dollars and now two two very two i mean thunderously successful spider-man franchises yeah they they, they were successful however spider-man homecoming 2017 budget 175 million dollars box office 880.2 million dollars it was the sixth highest grossing film of 2017 and after inflation adjustments uh, it is the least expensive live action spider-man film to date well what yeah. a success Marvel are notorious. Marvel Studios are notoriously uh, skinflints when it comes to production. We've <laughs> we've really heard that, um, mm. and uh, it's put people off working with them in the past. In- incredible to think that you can make a movie like this for that for under two hundred million and get what is it the second highest? Mm, sixth, yeah, it's, sixth it's highest. Not, it's still still good. No, no, second highest grossing Spider-Man movie that they've ever made. Oh yes, yes, second um, highest. Yeah, just 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 under Spider-Man three. Mm. Um, incredible. Um, I think we're, like we we 
it, it's strange to think that Sony is so desperate to kind of get in bed with Marvel Studios when look those amazing Spider-Man movies are not failures no they're not they didn't, failures they at didn't, all they didn't make a billion that seemed to be a sticking point when like Avengers came out 2012 mm. made a billion it kind of seemed like if you weren't making a billion you were not doing it right <laughs> which you know this doesn't make a billion a billion dollars and you know I, I, I know it's made more than the amazing Spider-Man mm. movies did but not a huge amount more um I, yeah, it's interesting. It's a very interesting. I, I, I know you've got more to tell us on the Sony Marvel Studios deal. I'm excited to hear about that. Um, but one thing that we thought we were going to introduce, as we mm. just kind of been thinking a little bit more about about um, about the behind the scenes section. You know, we're looking back at things that are kind of you know quite quite a way off these days. You know, um, how, what are we five years removed from this movie coming out? Yeah. Um, so uh, perhaps just uh, a little context about what the world was like when this movie came out. Um, of course, 2017 saw uh, Donald Trump elected, um, or sworn in. Sorry, he was elected the year before, yeah. wasn't he? Well, 2016 his, was a weird sworn year. Sworn in as president, it was indeed. Um, <laughs> we had the uh, envelope gate at the Oscars, oh. where <laughs> not, was it La La Land is announced as best picture instead of Moonlight. God, and there was a big mix-up. People started to. It was it was old Warren Beatty when it getting it wrong, um, or, or was it faded away? I forget. And then uh, the big confusion and all of that. The first time that had ever happened. Um, in this country, we 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 had this incredible One Love concert in Manchester to mm. uh, to benefit the victims of this horrible horrible bombing that took place. Um, yeah, at Ariana Grande concert. Ariana Grande always have a very special place in my heart for this the the the, the what she was able to do and put together mm. um uh, in, in this concert and the money they were able to raise incredible you know it was Justin Bieber was there Black Eyed Peas Coldplay Miley Cyrus uh Mac Miller everybody was there uh, Liam Gallagher take that <laughs> um, I don't know why I ended on take that. I just found that funny. Um, <laughs> and they, they they raised huge, huge, huge amounts of money. Mm. You know, I think something like ten million was raised in, in twenty four hours for the for the British Red Cross. Incredible. Of course, we had the um, Handmaid's Tale being released and being like the TV event yeah. of of the of the year. I I never um, got round to seeing it, but I've read the book. And it's a very hard-going book. The book's, the book's amazing. It's incredible. The book is amazing. It's up yeah. there with 1984. It's 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 an amazing story. Mm. Um, and and almost like going hand in hand with that, <laughs> we had the Harvey Weinstein uh, saga and the sort of the uh, I don't know if it was the beginning of the Me Too movement, but it certainly yeah. um, pushed it and, and and put a lot of fuel on the fire in getting that into the public consciousness, mm. changing the way we kind of talk about. Um, about predatory behaviour, mm. bit deep for our show, and <laughs> massively as well. We had we had the Wonder Woman movie came out, yeah, um, the the best reviewed DC Universe movie ever, yeah, um, box office uh, smash. And uh, what did you and, yeah. think of it, Wonder Woman film? 
I I think I enjoyed everything except for the the end fight, which I thought was uh, lame. I I thought it, it looked like I, I've had yeah. nine million Magneto fighting people movies. <laughs> they all suck. <laughs> like a guy in the air moving his hand as as bits of machinery and cars fly around. They suck. They absolutely suck. Yeah. Once was enough, and I didn't need to see another ten movies of it. X Men. There was some so really nice for touches the end of it. the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. to just be that was was really lame i felt oh no no absolutely I, there were some nice touches in it and i thought when i saw uh batman uh superman versus batman i thought wonder woman was the best thing about that movie and absolutely i didn't bother with the second wonder woman film i'm a bit iffy about a lot really of really lame it's really sucks oh, it's a real a shame. shame but let's not get distracted by dc nope. we've set kind of the the world in which homecoming um comes out it's a world of handmaid's tale of of and of wonder woman but equally of the harvey weinstein scandal uh trump is president and uh and a lot of other uh, peculiarities in 2017 will what can you tell us about behind the scenes on this movie well this is gonna be quite funny because this is yet another uh, marvel film that was affected by the November tw- uh, 2014 hacking of Sony's computers. So it's like the fourth or fifth one we've we've looked at now, isn't it? That it, it just makes you what makes you realise how big that was at the time. Because mm. you think hacking computers of a de- thing like that is like, oh yeah, it's just a bunch of files, it's just a bunch of stuff from an important people. But no, it had a huge effect. So following this hacking, uh, emails between Sony Pictures Entertainment co-chairman Amy Pascal and President Dun- uh, Doug Belgrad were released, stating that Sony wanted Marvel Studios to produce a new trilogy of Spider-Man films while Sony retained creative control, marketing and distribution. Discussions between Sony and Marvel broke down and Sony uh, planned to proceed with its own slate of Spider-Man films. However, in February 2015, Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios announced that they would release a new Spider-Man film with Kevin Figg and Pascal producing the latter through her company, Pascal Pictures. Just a quick thing. Uh, I've been picked up by a few people about my uh, pronunciation of uh, of Monsieur Fig. Uh, turns out that in German, that word means fig, <laughs> which I find hilarious. Uh, anyway, next. Basically, we, we don't care. We don't care. We don't care. <laughs> We don't care. If you listen to a four-hour, three-hour, if you listen to one of our incredible episodes, and the only thing you've got to say to us is, you slightly mispronounced a thing, we don't care. We don't care. If that's all you can say to us, then... Jog on. Big, not interested. Big Daddy Kev. He's the. Uh, he, 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 he can take it. He can take a mispronunciation. I'm not sure about the rest of them, but I'm sure he's happy with it. He's fine. But there's a thing you should all know about criticism: is that it tends to make us double down. So you won't get your you won't get your desired <laughs> results. Not from not from me. Oh um, boy. So the character would first appear in an earlier Marvel Cinematic Universe film, later revealed to be, as we all know, Captain America: Civil War. Marvel Studios would explore opportunities to integrate MCU characters into future Spider-Man films, which Sony Pictures would continue to finance, distribute, and have final creative control over. That didn't happen. That didn't happen, did it? Okay. Well, what Sony Pictures movie has a Marvel Studios MCU character in? Um, I I thought we were just talking about the spot the Spider-Man films. Eh, I mean, yeah. 
but it's not the the full scope of what they wanted. It's not it was can't... the full scope of what they wanted was Venom would feature <laughs> Captain America or Iron Man in it, and and whatever uh, the Black Cat movie would have Black Widow in it or whatever. That so we they they yeah it it it, it is restrained exclusively to. Spider-Man gets to join the MCU. Yeah, it's that's how it ended. But we're not we're not putting our MCU characters in your other movies. Of course. But obviously uh, both studios have the ability to terminate the agreement at any point and no money was exchanged with the deal. And 2011 uh, in a 2011 renegotiated uh, renegotiation designed to resolve years of behind the scenes legal disputes and provide Sony with much needed cash, the Japanese company gave up its share of merchandise rights and Marvel, now owned by Disney, agreed to forego its 5% of film revenue as well as making a one-time payment of $175 million and up to $35 million uh, for each future film. So there was a lot, lot of dealings between the two companies. It- it's so weird mm. Sony in 2011 had to go, we need a cash injection. We no longer will we'll give up our merchandising rights. That's crazy. Yeah, because you think of Sony as this big, unstoppable giant. I mean, they have the best, one of the best video game consoles of all time. But you just also think of how how we know historically from movies, like that the merchandise deal can be one of the most lucrative things. You oh, know? Absolutely, ever since Star Wars, it's that, proven to be. Yeah, that's 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 that great urban kind of story yeah. about Lucas and Star Wars. Yeah, I love that story. It was uh, very. Very smart thinking. Uh, Marvel had been working to add Spider-Man to the Marvel Cinematic Universe since at least October 2014 when they announced their slate of Phase 3 films with Fig saying, Marvel doesn't announce anything officially until it's set in stone. So we went forward with that plan A in October, with the plan B being if the deal were to happen with Sony, how it would all shift. We've been thinking about the Spider-Man film as long as we've been thinking about Phase 3. That's, so they must have had they had like essentially two plans for phase three. Just to, I, I now I want to know what the other plan would have been. I have a feeling they would have shifted films a bit and then. Well, it just wouldn't have had Spider Man in it, would it? Yeah. I mean, phase three doesn't rely on Spider Man for any of the. Wait, does fate fate? Yes, it does because phase three includes uh, Infinity War and Endgame, doesn't it? It does, but you could do Infinity War and Endgame without yeah, Spider Man. Completely, yeah. Definitely. You lose a big emotional moment, but oh, you—they don't know that at the time when they're making all these deals, do they? We will. So get- yeah, he doesn't. It's not like they go, "Oh, we need him for this pivotal thing that happens." Yeah. You know, we will get to that emotional moment when we eventually do Infinity War, which I've been salivating at. For as long as we've been doing this podcast. Fig said the character of Peter Parker would be around 15 to 16 years old in the film, which would not be an origin story since there have been two retellings of the origin in the last 13 uh, years or so. So we're going to take it for granted that people know that and the specifics. That's a quote from Kevin Fig. I'm very bad at telling her quotes. Uh, I should do an accent for him. Uh, Parker's Uncle Ben is still referenced in the film, but not by name. There was some discussion to include a direct reference to Ben when Peter is getting ready for his homecoming by the revelation that his wardrobe consisted of Ben's clothes. But the writers desisted uh, because they felt that the moment veered away from Parker's character arc and made Ben's death feel like a throwaway line. That's interesting, considering the most recent film where it would appear that this MCU Peter Parker doesn't have an Uncle Ben. Yeah. 
Again, so that's another film I can't wait to get my teeth into. Plans, plans clearly changed at some yeah. point. It's interesting the way they handled that. Mm. Uh, director John Watts only made his first movie in 2014. A horror. That's movie. mad. That's mad. Yeah, that is that, that is, is mad. mad. That is mad. You make your your first little movie, which is a which is a in 2014. Mm. Three years later, you're directing a huge franchise movie. Yeah. But then again, if you do, if you're in a franchise movie, you've got a lot of cushioning. I think, like, you, like it's not your project almost. It's like you're still under quite a lot of people. I think, but still, huge thing. No, it's yeah, it, it, it's it's the amount of like Marvel seem to do a lot of this. I think mm. it must be. I think I think what you're trying to say is that there's a bigger infrastructure for these movies. The, and I think you're probably right because Marvel yeah. seem to trust huge movies to people that don't have huge experience. And they got quite a, a few diverse directors recently, which has been quite interesting. Anyway, in 2014, John Watts directed his first movie, which was a horror called Clown. The movie came about in an unusual way. Watts and his friend, Christopher Ford, had made a fake trailer for a film about a father turning into a killer clown after trying on an old costume he finds in his basement. After he uploaded the trailer to YouTube, Watts was approached by Eli Roth with an offer to produce a feature version. Mental. Mm. As we know, Eli Roth uh, directed the film Hostel. And went on to to uh, form this big... um horror movie production company on the back of the success of Hostel. Yeah, he's he's he's, uh, he's quite a figure in the genre. Uh, what's route to Spider-Man happened in a similar fashion? He said, I made like a mood reel, just editing together a bunch of clips uh, into almost like a fake trailer to show people the tone I was imagining. And I storyboarded a bunch of sequences that I sent to them and just... I I thought it was going to be really good practice for pitching to big studios. I really just bothered Marvel Studios and everyone at Sony until they took notice. So twice he's uh, managed to kind of will his movie career into existence by making a fake trailer and, and, and sending it out. Do you know what that says to me? That says to me, he goes, if I get the buzz behind it, if I get the proof of concept behind it, instead of trying to shove my script in everyone's face, if I do the next step, then people will be more interested. It sounds like a very clever well, way yeah, of doing it. Well, yeah, because he's not a writer, so he's no. not a guy with the script, so yeah. Mm. Uh, very interesting to uh, to hear that. It's a good approach. Uh, it's a very new approach. On joining the MCU and directing the film, John Watts said he was excited to explore the ground level of the MCU, a world where characters like the Avengers exist, but they only have been depicted in previous films as the penthouse level of the Marvel world. I think that's a really great um, approach to take and have yeah. it fit Spider-Man perfectly. It does, because you, you get the... <sighs> I remember watching Daredevil and the whole idea of the Avengers because uh, they all kept referring to the Battle the, the, of New you York. You mean the Netflix series? Netflix series, sorry, Daredevil, the Netflix yeah. series. They kept referring to the Battle of New York as the incident and there yeah. was barely any mention of the Avengers and it, it didn't feel like penthouse level there. It felt like worlds apart, but it was still mm. around. So this, I like this because it's within the universe, but you do get this, hey, we're just the we're just the regular guys on the street trying to trying to get by day to day rather than we're in a high-tech government office or in Asgard or whatever. And it's really, it's a really nice Yeah, approach. absolutely. Now, this is what I found really interesting. The cast had to watch a John Hughes movie marathon to prepare. 
This movie is first and foremost a coming-of-age tale, so John Watch turned to the master of such stories, John Hughes. He said, He gave us a lot of movies to watch, Tom Holland said during an interview with Pop Sugar UK. God, there's so many movies. And we basically just all sat down in my house in, in Atlanta, all the cast, and we just watched them all in one day and just had like a Domino's day. It was amazing. The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink. There were loads of them. And it really comes off here, doesn't it, in places? I think it really comes off. I think it does definitely feels like very much like a, a coming-of-age movie. It's very... Um, the, sen- the, the the comedy sensibilities are, are probably are probably yeah they're um, quite Hughesian, yeah. Do you know uh, me and my mum's favourite uh, John Hughes movie is Uncle Buck. Yes, in one Uncle Buck. Of course, it's the best one. That's why <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's the best one. It's such an underrated film. I think I have a soft spot for Pretty in Pink, but I think it is it is Uncle Book's the best. Never never seen that one, but I've heard good things. Anyway, prior to its release, this movie saw the debut of numerous pitch perfect posters celebrating Spidey's first film set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Of them, the image featuring the hero leisurely lying next to a body of water wearing his high school academic decathlon blazer with a pair of headphones on stood out. As it turns out, however, the pose wasn't conceived of by a genius marketer. It Let's was... just stop there before we get to the cool bit of that yeah. and just have a moment to talk about uh, why that's um, why that connected with so many people. Because right? he's casual. 100%. He is, but he... what, do, what does that kind of convey about? It, 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 it very much conveys that he's a kid. He's, he's a free-spirited youngster. Yeah, definitely. Which you don't get from anyone else in the MCU at that point. It's not it's not Thor or Iron Man or Cap like rah, kind of like in an action pose. It's completely different it's a completely different vibe and it lets you know that the movie is gonna have a very different kind of energy to it. Well, yeah. Not just the MCU, but if you look at all Spider Man posters before that. There's not an air of yeah, menace. He's generally in, in, in action in the air. He's about to pounce. In every single Spider-Man uh, poster, he's about to pounce or swing into action. This guy's like, I'm just a kid. I'm just chilling <laughs> out here. And it's something like that, yes. Yeah, so something... tell us about it. Tell us about I'll it. I'll tell you about it before I do any more accents. As it turns mm, that'd out. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> the poster wasn't conceived by a genius marketer. It was a picture of Tom Holland taken when he was entirely unaware. In an interview during a press junket in Mexico City, Holland explained that the poster was a picture snapped while he was napping on set. He said, This is actually me asleep. That's not part of the movie. That's me in between takes asleep. We were shooting this scene and I was just really tired that day and when I was just asleep on the floor and the photographer took a picture. So when they made that the poster, I was like, what? What the hell, guys? <laughs> Unreal. Really is. I, I like I like it, it. It's nice, but it's a bit weird. It's been observed that the previous Sony Pictures incarnation of the Spider-Man had little of the character's uh, thought soliloquies from the comics, which robbed him of his introspective nature because it was considered difficult to convincingly convey that kind of speech in the film medium. The Karen digital assistant character in Spider-Man's first suit from Tony Stark solves that problem by giving Peter someone to talk to while in costume. 
Furthermore, the costume's adjustable eyepieces helped give Spider-Man's full face mask a degree of expressiveness to avoid the need to have him continually unmasked for important scenes, thus re-establishing the character's visual universality. I don't know. I don't think it's going to do with universality. It's got to do with uh, it's dumb for someone protecting his identity to keep taking his mask off. Yeah, it makes me think of Deadpool because the Deadpool. visual universality. Come on, I, I, I've always wanted to use that word. You know me. Uh, Deadpool had that thing where he had expressive eyes with his costume, which I really liked. He had the white eyes, but they were expressive. Yeah, it's directly from the comics and and mm. from some of the cartoons and stuff. Yeah, it's it's generally artistic. I don't know if there's any need to kind of explain how it happens. Mm. It's usually artistic kind of uh, license, isn't it? In a in a in a in a drawn form. <laughs> Do you know um, what I'm thinking? If they just had a, uh, a Batman Begins esque montage of him trying trying to get his face mask to go, oh, I want to show expressiveness through these eyes. <laughs> I'm going to put some wiring in. <laughs> it, it helps that it's a tech suit, isn't it? So you can, I don't know if I think you could hear it whirring yeah. in the first time you see it. I do. I did love that whirring with the eyes because it was like, hey, they're doing expressiveness. It doesn't need to be done, but it's a nice little feature, isn't it? Also, when I was going through the Spider Man animated series, the 90s animated series, Spider Man, there was a lot of soliloquying going on. And I, as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, he does talk to himself a lot in that. I think he, he, even um, without the talking to the AI thing, mm. he um, we get in that wonderful montage, there's an awful lot of kind of talking out loud to as he interacts with people. Yeah. There's an awful lot of... Yeah, Spider-Man does need to be... Um, you need to be talking about his, his internal thoughts because it's a huge part of the comics and the character. He's a very chatty person as well. According to James Gunn, Stanley's cameo in this film is one of four Lee cameos filmed in one day. Itself along cameo appearances in Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, and another title he did not specify, although it is suggested it would be Thor Ragnarok. That just sounds like brilliant uh, scheduling to me. <laughs> late, late interviews with with Stan, he would reveal that he does not quite he does not have any idea what movies he's in. Um, he 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 doesn't. I mean, it, he was very advanced in years. He was practically blind, um, so he couldn't read. And he, and he just, you know, he was. And and you know, he's he's ninety whatever, and he's brought to his set, and he's on. The, he's just stand over there and say this now, stand now, stand over there and say that. So he was, you know, promoting these things, but he's like, I'm not sure what movies I've been in yet. <laughs> I, I I went to a studio and I filmed a bunch of things, but I don't know what the movies what movies they were for. What a legend. Uh, in the comics, Flash Thompson was a burly football player. This was updated to make him a wealthy, smug character to fit modern portrayal of bullies. Tony Revolori received death threats, apparently, for playing the role of bully Flash Thompson, which I find a bit bit strong. That's a bit much. Uh, yeah, there are racists all over the place, and they're horrible people. Ooh, very bad. It, you can't tell me it's got anything to do with... His personality being slightly different. Oh it's no! It's completely no. to do with the fact that Flash in the comics has been traditionally drawn as a white person, mm. and uh, and Tony isn't. I, I do like that change though, because a burly because like let's see, previous incarnations of Flash Thompson in the in the Raimi films he was just spiky haired, you know, guy who looks like he listens to you know punk music and he, he's um, Shazam. That was oh, is it? Uh, who was that actor called again? It's that actor uh, Chuck. 
whatever from, his name because he's. Po- I'm just doing his two roles. His, his, yeah, Shazam Chuck because he popped up in something recently. I was Captain like, Chuck. Yeah, Captain Captain Chuck. Yeah, it was him. And then, of course, in uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, Flash Thompson looks like he's one day bad day away from shooting up the entire high school with an AR-15. Yeah, he's intense in those ones. So this was actually quite a nice subtle change because it's like, oh, a bully you think is just muscle and blunt force, but no, this is a negging little man. Yeah, I don't know if I call this guy a bully. Yeah, it's a... I don't know. I got bullied by people like him in school. I did. I know it's... did you, though? Don't, I don't know if this is bullying. Don't retcon my childhood again, Rob. It's just, uh, did you, you know... Did you get... Did you did, get was that what happened? Yeah, it was. It was a very odd time. Uh, while previous Spider-Man films essentially glanced over the teenage experience, this interpretation will uh, would be like a superhero film with a hint of John Hughes. Unlike Peter Parker, though, Tom Holland grew up in London and had to dress in formal attire for school. So to help his lead, this leading man get into character, director John Watts instructed Holland to go undercover as a student at the Bronx High School of Science. Putting on an accent and assuming an alias, Holland reportedly blended into the crowd. In the same vein as Peter, he managed to tackle high school while also maintaining his secret identity, proving Holland was ready to become Spider-Man. That in, is in insane length to go to. Hey, you got to do the methods. You've got to do the method acting. Well, we got a good result on the other end of it. I, 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 maybe that was a p- big part of it. Who knows? I, I don't know how that was really needed, though, but it did make me realise, oh, God, school in this country is so different to school in America where we're all in uniform. Mm. Yeah. Uh, quick, last couple of quick facts. Uh, Mark Hamill wanted to play the Vulture if Michael Keaton turned the part down. Could you imagine Mark Hamill as the Vulture? I think I can imagine Mark Hamill as any villainous role, really. Yeah. Um, I'd be concerned it would slip into the trickster slash joker kind of slightly zany, but he's, he's very good at all the, he's very good. Yeah. Playing, playing bad guys. I think he, he trumps more at voice acting than actual acting, but yeah, I could, I could see it. Uh, and this is my favorite fact. Uh, (laughs) and we had to double check this. The working title of the film was Summer of George, <laughs> which is, of course, a <clears throat> reference to a Seinfeld episode. Potential Marissa Tomei reference, I think. Could be, it, it's a combination. Um, the majority of the film is filmed in Georgia. That's what I've looked up. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's a, I guess, the fact that, you know, they need um, a lot of working titles are actually these days um, to hide what is being made. Of course. Um, so they come up with a, kind of a fake title. The famous one is that when they were sh- shooting Doctor Who, um, it was sh- all done under the name Torchwood, which is just an anagram of Doctor Who. Uh. And then down the line, they decided to, that's actually kind of a cool kind of a cool word and they they incorporated into some of the stories um but yeah summer it was being filmed in the summer in georgia marissa tomei's in the movie summer of georgia we're gonna go behind the page now on um on this movie and in this kind of like the concept of of um seeing peter parker as a teenager which is something that as uh, will mentioned was glassed kind of glazed over glassed is glazed over in the uh in the earlier movies as we kind of get out uh to uh to see a more grown-up peter parker and the school life isn't dealt with a huge amount and it massively is in this one now i want to talk a little bit about the teenager 1954 
um, we we get the 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 word teenager kind of being added to dictionaries and mm. to a, a new edition. Um, although it first appears as a term, like in the in the in the the forties, right before the Second World War, it only really caught on in common usage during at the end of the nineteen forties, start of the fifties. Um, the, the the teenager as a concept is like brand new. It's so fresh and new when Spider Man is being written, and we need to kind of have a little bit of a think about what the teenager is. Yeah. Because so whenever I hear teenager, I always think of it in a derogatory term, like those damn teenagers. Mm. Um, a lot of writers uh, have looked at this, uh, and and the the philosophies and things have written about it. Um, anthropological people, mm. and they look at like the 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 rise, relatively late late rise of of compulsory education in the Western world, which took about in the late eighteen hundreds, mm. um, meant that young people are taken out of the workplace and removed from the world of adults, and it kind of cr- after you know several decades it's ended up creating this sort of new subsection of society like people that are too old to be children mm. but are no longer allowed to be considered adults full adults mm. as they've been back into school for even longer and it's it's a time in people's lives when young people are beginning to form their own ideas about like big things like love and friendship um social responsibilities sex belief systems and and figuring out where they are in the world it's a hugely combustible and interesting time in anyone's life and we see that like in europe and north america the the teenagers first kind of come to public attention during the second world war Mm. um but then with the and and there's an awful lot of nonsense fear fear fear-mongering and scapegoating in 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 the in the (laughs) tabloids and things that that want to that want to kind of like drum up sales mm. and with with the end of the war and the, and the kind of relative prosperity of the 50s many working class parents who were enjoying like a newfound economic security for the first time were really eager to take the opportunity to to like encourage their teenagers to have a life outside of the home and outside of school and we see this big trend in these working class families encouraging their their teens to enjoy a more like adventurous life um in in a lot of cases young people in this it's this era of the 50s into the 60s were able to start living parts of their lives separate from school separate from parents separate from other adults gaining their first like their first taste of independence and self-reliance and and agency the 50s were this time where the teenagers are began to be seen as like um by the wider world as a cultural movement Mm. music fashion uh books movies all begin like focusing and marketing or focusing on the teenager and then marketing to them as well mm. so we get movies like the wild one rebel without of cause mm. which gain huge attention popularity critical acclaim they're quite sensational as well like sensational dramas about the lives of teenagers this new thing we just learned about um the late 50s and the and the in the start of the 60s see an explosion of things and targeted directly to teenagers drive-in movies yes um movies about 
like beach movies were huge. Movies about beach parties and surfing are massive. Movies about rock and roll. Movies about car racing, which was huge with kids. Mm. Um, teenagers were not just a social group. They were recognised now as a group with money to be spent. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to make a movie or a comic book or a book or whatever, make it make it about to market it at this new social group with money. Yeah. If we look at the history of like young people in comics, we, we see the the sidekick Robin in uh, in the nineteen thirties and mm. Batman's sidekick, not a teenager but a child, um, a wild wild success, um, which led to more sidekicks like Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Jimmy Olsen, Aqualad. Uh, Robin, like these sidekicks in general, like children loved seeing themselves in comic books seeing them represented um and it's kind of a wish fulfillment the the child reading the comic can have this wish fulfilled of like look at this a child can go on adventures and and fight bad guys and that that kind of marketing that kind of character helps sell a lot of comic books and so throughout the uh the silver age mainly in dc we get an awful lot of child sidekicks were created mm. some teens but it's st- the trend starts beneath the teen but then as the teenager rises up in the in the 50s like in the 60s dc is all about oh the psychics are teenagers now forget about robin being like 10 or 11 <laughs> or whatever it's a bit different at marvel you know we go back to um timely comics the precursor to marvel comics we see the original human torch not mm. the fantastic four guy but there's another flaming character from the from the second world war called the human torch yeah he had a kid sidekick called toro who could also burst into flames and control that and of course captain america had his masked child sidekick bucky mm. that we've explored in the past but this was all pre stan lee mm. once stan lee kind of um get some control and influence at Marvel, things start to change. Because Stanley hates the idea of sidekicks. He hates the idea of children sidekicks. He thinks it's dumb and hokey. Mm. So one of the one of the, when he kind of gets controlled, he kills off the uh, Human Torch's sidekick. Um, we talked about how when Captain America reemerges in the nineteen sixties he has this flashback to Bucky being killed. Yeah. So he's got rid of Bucky as well. So it's kind of um, Stanley cleaning house to get rid of these <laughs> these kids or these teens or whoever it's going to be as the sidekick. He's very anti-sidekick. Mm. Um, 1962, Marvel and Stanley have had big success with Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, and that's the first age of the of the marvel comics and they're noticing a huge surge of the buying power of teenagers um and that's who is really buying these new comics the fantastic four incredible hulk so stan decides that for his next character he wants to create a teenage superhero Mm. this was a completely new idea they'd only ever been sidekicks in comic books um which means that they'd only ever like they're only there as a sidekick for the adult to explain the plot to like come on robin if we don't stop the joker before he poisons the thingamajig then the you know that's what they're there for they're there to be spoken down to told what to do and they're there to be kidnapped and held Mm. hostage and drive the plot forward yeah um stanley whether he knew it or not was 
when he's kind of creating spider-man he's giving these teenagers what they desperately crave as, as as readers he's giving them a character that has independence and agency mm. by making a teenager the central character the protagonist and the hero not just the sidekick um stan says and when he's interviewed about this I hated teenagers in comics because they were always sidekicks. But I thought it might be interesting to make the teenager the hero. What would happen if a teenage kid got powers? He pitched the idea um, to his superiors, but Martin Goodman, the publisher of Timely Comics, like basically said that's a stupid idea. They can only be sidekicks. Of course, as we know, he's 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 proven he's proven massively wrong in a huge way as the first the first appearance of spider-man is an incredibly big selling thing he's immediately given his own his own comic book and goes Mm. on to become this kind of icon for marvel in the beginning peter parker is a 15 year old kid Mm. and between issue one and issue 185 16 years later we get to see something that's quite rare very rare in action adventure comics the true and gradual growth of a character. Once Peter Parker graduates from college in 1978, he kind of gets frozen in this age of being in his mid-twenties. And he stays that way. In the same way Batman is frozen at a certain age, Superman is frozen at a certain age, they all, all characters are. But Mm. for the the first 16 years of Spider-Man... He, he genuinely ages and grows and matures as he goes through high school and then through college. Um, and that's not something that you, you really get to see very often. To begin with, um, Peter Parker is like, when we first introduced to him as this 15-year-old, he's a character that's coddled by his family and kind of abused and bullied by his peers. And mm. he, he is very relatable by his by his um, youth, by his working class stature, but and 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 the stories have great wish fulfillment. You know, the powerless gaining power, but he is not a perfect or wholly admirable character. Mm. Peter Parker is very, very flawed and very, very much a child, a kid. Um, yes, all the other kids at school treat him badly, mm. but young Peter Parker. Is not he kind of brings it on himself. He's not an easy kid to get along with. <laughs> if you read these early issues as an adult, you can see why the other kids don't want him around. Like some of the, one, some of the early one of the earliest lines in 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 a Spider Man comic is Pete's internal monologue. So they laughed at me for being a bookworm, eh? Well, only a science major could have created a device like this. He's very <laughs> like pompous and kind of mm. self important about himself. Um, like we 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 can learn a lot through his relationship with Flash in the comics. Like when Flash is bullying Peter Parker, mm. he's saying things like, "I bet you think I'm too much of a dummy to read a book like that," or mm. "Why even bother inviting inviting Puny Parker to the party? He'd rather not hang out with us." Like. It's a lot of projection from Flash, because Flash is quite an insecure character. Mm. But it's also reacting to this aloof, kind of obnoxious nature that Peter Parker has. Mm. Like, Stan kind of was writing these characters with a lot of complexity that maybe the kids reading it would have missed. But 
Stan is writing kids kind of how he knows kids are. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not that there can't be awful, you know, victims and awful bullies, but a lot of situations are people don't quite know how to get along. And someone like Peter Parker, like, he's not entirely blameless in this situation. Peter is painted as aloof and distant and mm. um the other kids interpret that as being hostile oh yeah. god this guy doesn't want to he's not cool he doesn't want to party with us like he doesn't want to hang out with us like oh what a you know why is he not want to and that's where the resentment comes from peter parker is not hero material like not in a way that we immediately see bruce wayne clark kent Steve Rogers, mm. they are hero material, right? Yeah. They're selfless and they're action orientated and they're this, that, and the other. Like Peter Parker doesn't have that 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 kind of natural selflessness or or drive. He's a kid. Like he's he's also when he becomes Spider Man, he, he becomes this kind of this teenageness really kind of informs an awful lot about what he does. Mm. Like he's consumed by by trying to be seen as an 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 adult in the world of men, yeah. right? Which is part of what he loves about being Spider Man. He can put this mask on, he and 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 pretend to be an adult. And who's going to believe a kid is is being this superhero? As Peter Parker, he's a kid struggling for his own agency mm. and to find his own place in the world. But when he puts on a mask and he can pretend he's an adult and pretend that he lives in the adult world and he belongs there. And other people react and respond to him as an adult, mm. which is what he's been craving. Yeah. Which is a tremendous metaphor for what life is like as a teenager. Oh, absolutely. You, you often feel caught between the two worlds of your childhood that you're leaving behind and the burgeoning independence of adulthood, which is just around the corner. You're simultaneously desperate to become a grown-up whilst also scared about being wholly responsible for yourself and your <laughs> actions and not knowing what to do as an adult yeah. and, and nervous to kind of let go of that, of that world of being a child. Teenagers spend their time balancing between these two worlds, mm. which is something that, that, that Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and later John Romita put on the page and distill so brilliantly into spider-man they, they also put as we all as we talked about an awful lot existentialism is front and center in marvel and particularly in spider-man the teenage years are, are are usually where young people are first starting to ask these questions of themselves and mm. the world around them like like why am i here what is it all about what does it all mean what yeah. am i going to do with myself is everything ridiculous um, when am I going to die? <laughs> so early, early Spider-Man stories mm. feature huge amounts of this. He's caught between. He, he expresses a huge amount of not knowing whether am I Spider-Man because of this this moral lesson about power and responsibility. My uncle Ben dying, or is it because I really love being Spider-Man? I love putting the mask on, and I love being set free. Mm. Like, am I selfishly doing this? Yeah. He's constantly questioning whether his response... His, he questions his responsibility to the people around him and whether he should be putting his loved ones and his own life above the needs of a stranger that he could help. Is that something he should be able to do? All the kind of big questions that teenagers start to ask themselves really in, in in when they when they when they enter this very strange murky world of being a teenager 
To begin with, Peter Parker doesn't know what he's doing when he puts on the mask. Mm. He pretends to be an adult when he's in costume. He talks differently. He affects a different voice. He condescends to his and talks down to his to the bad guys, and he makes fun of them with dumb jokes. He's a teenager, just like emulating or pretending what he thinks an adult and a hero would do. He's just making it up as he goes along. Mm. Peter Parker doesn't know the rights and wrong of every situation he comes across. So he just fakes it and pretends and tries to think, what would an adult do? What would a hero do in this situation? And slowly but surely, that act that he puts on, the way he pretends to be an adult, that's the end. The adult he ends up becoming. The early Spider-Man stories rather poignantly show they show young people that nobody knows how to be an adult. We're all just making it up as we go along. We're all just putting a mask on and pretending to be a grown-up until eventually one day you wake up and realise somewhere along the line you really did grow up. We love hearing from you guys. You can always drop us a line, marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com, or you can tweet out to us at marvelversus. Will, what's in the mailbag? Oh, what a mailbag we have for you today. First off, Juicy sent us a letter while we were away. Hello, guys. I know it's been a while since I last dropped a line, but I have been listening religiously as soon as the episodes are out. I loved the Gwen Stacy episode. I actually have the comic book of that as part of a bigger Spider-Man collection I received last Christmas. So I listened to that episode while checking the panels. I saw the snap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very... uh, Oh, what a moment. The last Fantastic Four episode was brilliant, but I have to give a special mention to your Wolverine Enemy of the State episode. It's Bonus show. Bonus show, remember? Bonus episode. It's episodes like that that make me realise how worthwhile my subscription is. Best £10 a month you can spend. To it- see what Juicy's talking about, <laughs> head over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Enemy of the State from last month was a really cool one. Yeah. Um, Wolverine becomes the perfect weapon working for Hydra, fighting all the Avengers. It's awesome. It would take me too long to review all the episodes that I loved in the last few months, but just keep them coming. P.S. As you could see from Twitter, I am now the proud owner of a Powered by Ignorance t-shirt, waiting for badges and stationery next. Keep up the good work and do enjoy your summer holidays. And break a leg on your fringe stint, Will. Oh, I did. Thank you. He did. Thank you, Juicy. We love hearing from you. Um, Who else have we got, Will? Mr. Mike Lord shared his thoughts on Homecoming. I thought this movie did an amazing job, no pun intended, of establishing Spider-Man as part of the MCU. They had a difficult job in many ways. If there hadn't been a Spider-Man film since 2007, it might have been easier. But the abortive Andrew Garfield series muddied the waters there. Bypassing the origin was a smart move, and giving Peter a new best friend in Ned, even if he is a direct steal from Gank in the Miles Morales series, helped give it a different impetus. I also really liked the uh, the way they introduced reintroduced MJ by stealth. I did not see that reveal coming. The film really gets Peter's quirky sense of humour too. 
I know some people have criticised the way Iron Man dominates the film. He doesn't. But I see the MCU trilogy as more Marvel team-up than Amazing Spider-Man or Ultimate Spider-Man in its influences. And as that was the Spidey book I mostly grew up on, I can get on board with that. It's worth bearing in mind that while the Spider-Man of the comics was part of the first wave of superheroes in the MCU, he is second generation, so would have grown up watching the Avengers on the news. Of course he'd look up to Tony Stark. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot to be... I think there's positives and negatives. I think it's also hard for long-time fans to kind of leave behind something they really like and accept something in a slightly new version and i experienced that the same as everyone else does oh absolutely um, george bingham said i watched spider-man homecoming a while after it came out i thought that tom holland was good better than andrew garfield but not as good as toby Maguire. the vulture was interesting and seemed fine as a villain michael keaton was a change in the original vulture from the comics but i think that worked for the movie overall it's a good film maybe not the best but good thank you george yeah i i i um I I I think Tom Holland is very very good. Oh, I love him. In um, this. It's not a pristine copy of, you know, a character from the comics, but none of them are really. I do have to say, I think you have to go a, a long way to kind of match Maguire, but I think he's 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 nearly up there. Yeah, really is. Um, Zach Thomas wrote in to say. I had the privilege of this movie being the first movie that got me hooked on the idea of the MCU being a connected and ongoing series of stories. I remember being very excited as to have seen Spider-Man pop up in Civil War, which at the time of viewing I had not seen Age of Ultron or Winter Soldier, so I was lost. I thought it was pretty odd seeing him at the time and even without knowing anything about the comic books or any Spider-Man history. I remember thinking it was odd for him to be part of the Avengers. I loved Homecoming. I think Tom Holland is the best Peter Parker in any of the three trilogies, but Spider-Man 2 still holds the top spot for me. I think that Tony Stark being connected to Peter is odd and not what I would have expected, but for the MCU, it works. Overall, Spider-Man Homecoming is a refreshing and fun movie with a fun plot twist and quips. Tom Holland also had a special place in my heart because, not to brag, I've been told I look like him a few times. I can't wait to see what else Tom Holland Spider-Man have to give to the MCU in the future. Well, that's Zach Thomas there, who is the he's the Spider-Man of the MVM universe. Then, if he <laughs> looks like Tom Holland, he can be he can be the uh, the Spider-Man of our MVM verse. Thank you, Zach. Do I demand that he sends a picture in, or is that weird? I think it might be a bit weird. That might be weird, yeah, because I'm just really interested now. Uh, finally, Holly Galpin said. Teenage dirtbag Peter Parker. Vulture was a great bad guy. Zendaya is a great weird Gen Z Mary Jane. Holland Spidey can quip, portrays how cool it is to be Spider-Man, but also accurately highlights those relatively small real-life Peter Parker issues with his relationship and school life. This version of Parker is a precious cinnamon roll. Too good for this world. A precious cinnamon roll. Okay. Uh, he is wholesome. Sure thing. He's wholesome. I guess so. Weren't the others not wholesome? Nah. I don't know. Uh, okay. I think it's just because he's the cutest. I yeah. think that's sometimes what that means. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for getting in touch. Drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. Of course, the perfect place to get in touch with us is patreon.com 
slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's where all our bonus content lives, and it's where the most amazing people, part of our community, part of our family, they subscribe, they support us, they keep us on the air. We're going to give a massive shout-out to the uh, the big players, Peter J., Mikey W., Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, Zach Thomas, Bastabia, Sam, and Bindi. Those guys are the top, top contributors that um, do big things every single month, keep us here every single month. Um, we've got a litany of VIEPs as well, uh, and we've got some guys there at the very basic mm. level um, just trying to keep the lights on and showing us that support, showing us that love. And in exchange, we show our love back with some real fun bonus episodes that are only available um, on the other side of that paywall. Each and every month, every single person gets access to Obscure Marvel, which is a show where I take Will through some of the most ridiculous events and characters <laughs> in the history of Marvel comics. Um, in the month of September, we learnt about Spider-Man joining Saturday Night Live. Yes. Bill Murray... Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi. What <laughs> feelings and thoughts on that one, Will? It, I mean, it's as mental as it sounds. There is no way to really get into it without listening to the episode, but it is as mental as it sounds. Absolutely, balls to the wall, crazy. Mm. Um, we do that every month for everybody, um, and we have an awful lot of fun. You might have heard our our last episode release, which was focusing on Rocket Racer and Big Wheel, mm. um, which we put out there in in August while we were away on holiday. We drop that every single month, and then if you you can also get early access to everything we do. But if you're at the VIEP level or above, you get access to our full-length bonus episodes, which last month, Wolverine, Enemy of the State. Do you think that's the most action-packed one we've ever looked at, Will? It felt a bit like a Captain America film, that one. Like the espionage, the double-crossing. Yeah, It was good. It was very action-packed. Ninjas, oh. assassins... Swords, um, healing factors, uh, Wolverine trying to take down the Fantastic Four, yeah. the X-Men, the Avengers, Electra from Daredevil is in it. Big, big episode. Um, I think one of our best. Um, I really, really do. I think they can get better. This month, to tie in with our look at an incredible Spider-Man movie, we're going to take the chance to look at what may... The, the, the comic book series that may have saved Spider-Man and Ooh. the comic book series that has influenced the Sam Raimi movies, the Mark Webb movies and the MCU movies um, it is the year 2000 and Spider-Man is in the doldrums and a reboot is launched, a brand new universe and a brand new continuity it sounds like it might not have worked and yet it was one of it is one of the greatest Marvel comic series of all time. Mm. Very easily one of the best Spider-Man series. It relaunched a teenage Peter Parker in the year 2000, which at the time was very current. It was the current year. And it showed what a modern world, a non-1960s kind of retelling of the Spider-Man story would be like. Um, it's It's got all your favorite characters, but updated it, it introduced a brand new language to the world of comic books, a brand new way of telling stories. Um, it's incredibly Marvel. It's incredibly fresh. 
and there is i mean on we've got so many cool things to dive into and go through we're going to be diving into ultimate spider-man the birth of the ultimate universe man it's big it is a move that saved marvel comics in my mind um we've got to we've got to get into how is ultimate spider-man different to the regular spider-man um we're going to talk about Aunt May, the origins, the 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 deaths. The, 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 there's so much to get into. Um, the Kingpin looms large. The Green Goblin is an actual giant hulking goblin. Ooh. Tons to be doing and digging apart. You can only get access to that by patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. We, we love, you know, you guys, it's very clear you guys love long-form content. <laughs> you, you you love these big meaty episodes that we put out you love the way we dive into things and get it all done it's it's a huge undertaking for us we need you guys to support us on that end of things we need you to be there for us like we're there for you and hey in exchange for that patronage you get tons more long form content that are available for you guys to download and listen and keep and whatever you want to do with them and that's only available on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel really excited to be bringing ultimate spider-man to the masses uh, this month and will it's nearly time it is nearly time it is nearly time for the deep dive it's going to be with you guys on the other side of this break <laughs> <laughs> 